like to welcome Coach Matt Jones of Matt Jones Hoops to the Coach's Edge podcast, basketball training, player development business, consulting, uh, based in Lexington, Kentucky. But Coach, you're you're all over the place. You, you run pre-draft. You run camps or in different parts of the United States. Uh, if, you, if you do, you know, basketball events and, and kind of help uh, college teams, you know, get overseas for some tours, uh, coaching experience, prep level, college level, uh, at the pro level, you've been overseas, just a, a variety of different coaches, ex coaching experience and training experience, which is going to help uh, all of our listeners as we get into this podcast, which is going to be uh, excellent as we talk about, you know, moving without the basketball, playing on and off the ball, context and, and everywhere else this podcast is going to go. But here's the first question, coach. Who's your player comp? If you were to if you were to explain to our listeners your player comp for it could be a current NBA player, could be a past NBA player. What's your game? Uh, if I had to. That's a great question. You're coming out firing. Uh, <laughs> I come being an Ohio guy originally, uh, and the influence of my dad, uh, my, I would go Mark Price. I had to mm. pick a, a classic name. Mm. Uh, probably didn't shoot it ever as well as Mark Price, but <laughs> not many uh, ever that, have. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, but I think that just being uh, the the consummate uh, point guard who can you know makes the right decisions, does the right things, just knows what he's doing out there. Mm. Um, I think as a player, I was a little. Uh, I hate to use the stereotype, but like deceptively athletic, like a six-two white kid who could dunk and do some different mm -hmm. things who would get you off guard. Through. But uh, <laughs> th that would probably be my, my the one I would go to uh, mm -hmm. off the top of my head. I like it, Mark Price. We haven't heard that one, but it's funny you say that because a couple months ago, like on Twitter, a Mark Price highlight clip for like ninety seconds popped up, and I was like, "This dude was killing!" Right? Yeah. He, was, I mean, he was one of the best point guards in the league for for a stretch, right? I mean, in the Eastern Conference, I mean, if it weren't for Isaiah Thomas, right, for for Detroit, I mean, he he was, I mean, he was killing, obviously, Mark Price was a little bit younger, but uh, very cool, very cool. You have coaching experience overseas, college, at the prep level. Uh, you're a high-level basketball trainer. I mean, anybody who's trusted to help, uh, you know, players in the pre-draft process, right? There's a reason they're, they've been asked to do that. That's a great responsibility, how has the coaching experience that you have made you better in the player development space? The context act aspect, uh, probably, um, you know, coaching at a variety of levels. There's certain things that I feel like are just universal, um, whether you're coaching, you know, high school or at the pro level, uh, you know, you pick up on certain things where it's like, man, the best players, whether you're the best high school player or the best pro player, your, your shot preparation or your ability to read when to cut off the ball or whatever, those type of things. I just, um, you know, you, you watch basketball, like you live it like we do. There's certain things where this is our job to watch the game. And, you know, you do anything, you focus on anything nonstop. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, and sees of this is what the best guys do. I wasn't the best player, but I've been lucky to be around the, a lot of good players and see what they do. And I think that's, able to help me kind of you know take experiences and you know apply them their development realm yeah and you mentioned as we were emailing uh prior to setting up this podcast you know that age range of 12 to 18 and some of the lack of context there when it comes to uh, continuing to develop players what are some specific things that you know you teach your players and things that you see as a whole uh that you know in this space we need to continue to improve upon 
what to do without the ball in your hands, I would say is the number one uh, where there's not, uh, not enough uh, time taken to really break that down. And it, there, there's nuance to it. It's a lot easier to say, Hey, you know, you have a def- defender leaning. These are some triple moves you can make or whatnot. It's like, you know, it's kind of cut and dry in some of those spaces where moving without the ball, there's more nuance. And, you know, even just coach to coach what they want you to do might be a little bit different. Um, but I think that would be one. Um, I think the other thing, you know, just based on some of my time in Europe and what I've seen in some of the academies there, like playing with either hand, like if you're 12, 13 years old I, and you're right-handed, I think you need to be able to throw a one-handed, left-handed pass, be functional. It's part of the game. Um, so I would say that that would be another one. Um, and I think on top of that, uh, just kind of like doubling down on uh, film, like using film with even young kids. I think we, um, I think there's something to be said for that. Like 12, 12 year olds, you know, they play video games. They, they're on their, they're, they're, we're visually driven this mm-hmm. generation. So like, why shouldn't they be able to, you know, look at a film from a workout or play in three on three and pick up on some of, you know, whatever you're trying to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's, this is great. So let, let's pick those three pieces as, as we continue to dive in, moving without the ball, passing, and then film. All right. So uh, let's go move them without the basketball first. Are there some specific things that you teach with your players or, you know, maybe specific common actions from, as you've said before, hey, watching the game, these are things that, you know, are common actions that are successful for teams at various levels that you try to work with, with your players to set them up for success and obviously improve their basketball IQ. I always just use the phrase chase space with moving without the ball. Where is the empty spot on the and, you know, they're, they're, you know, as they're, they get older and their the understanding grows, like I said before, there's more nuance, but it's like, okay, it's a baseline drive. Your defender helps. Are we lifting towards the top? Are we drifting? Are we making, you know, an aggressive cut towards the rim? You know, that can be broke down all sorts of ways. And your philosophy mm-hmm. may be different than mine, but where is the space at? That's where I need to go. Mm-hmm. And then if you're coaching them, they may, you know, instead of aggressive cutting, they drift or they lift. And then we can maybe break down it more, but it's like, okay, at least chase the space. And then you're going to start to pick up on what works and what doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd rather you cut and it be the wrong cut than, you know, and still or not, you know, move with, um, like I always tell players, like I want them to be deliberate in their movements you know be decisive if you're going to cut if you're going to make a, a a basket cut i want you to cut as hard as you can or you're going to lift i want you you know those two slides to be as hard as you can mm-hmm. um so those would be that would be like my initial thought process without the ball um mm-hmm. and then i think um from there yeah you can teach the nuance a little bit more mm-hmm. watch middle school basketball right now if someone drives to the basket there's usually four people standing basically. yeah yeah Hundred uh, percent chase space. I love that. Easy for players to understand, right? Um, it's clear. Uh, it's concise, right? Uh, rhymes, right? Which is, which is easy for for kids to remember. So I love that. From a you know having a, a degree in education, I love I love you know anytime we can be clear, concise, consistent with the word uh, and the terminology that we have. I think that's great. I was doing a, a breakdown of game film for one of my players that who's actually in Ohio, where you're, where you're from, and outside of Toledo, and and we were talking about the same thing of like. Dude, where's the space? He's left-handed, so he's, he really likes to go left, really likes to go left. I'm like, dude, space is to your right. Like, go to space, and then you're going to be able to create 
uh, a shot for yourself or, or for a teammate, which is huge. Uh, let's talk passing. Um, last thing on the cut, if you said be deliberate with your movement, and I think that so often players are afraid to make a mistake, right? What if I cut to the wrong spot? What if, you know, and, and talking with the Olivet coach in a podcast uh, about a month ago, he's like, if you cut and it's not the right spot and there's a guy there, just screen for that guy. And then he, he can cut like we're not, the mistake is not really doing anything. And as, as you said, just, just standing. Um, so that's a great point as well. Uh, and it's funny you mentioned passing because another, another coach I was just talking to said the, in his opinion, the biggest lost art of the game is passing the basketball. And uh, it's not something that we talk about enough. Personally, I don't talk about it enough. We work on it here and there, but not as enough as we should. What are some of the things that, you know, you drive through to your players and then how do we work on that in the training you know, environment? The first thing I think, you know, you go to a basketball camp with 10 year olds, you and me are going to be partners. We're going to step and pass. And, you know, and I think you need to you know, start out that. And, but from there, I'm like, that's not very dynamic. How many times am I going to throw a direct right. pass right to you or whatever? Mm -hmm. So I think starting like young is getting them to realize you're going to have to throw passes outside your body. And there's nothing wrong with me being partner passes and throwing a hook pass to you, even if I'm just starting to figure out like the physics of it. And they're not going to be good at it. I don't expect them to apply it. But also, if you don't start trying to at least expose them to that idea of like a more dynamic pass, they're not just going to magically be able to do it when they're 17, 18 college players. So I think that is like the first thing I would that I wish I understood more when I was here. And then, because then you go to college, you're playing, and you realize, like, man, I I don't really have all the all the tricks I need to solve yeah. some of these problems that are arising on the floor. Um, so I think that, and then, uh, like I said before, just working on one-handed passes, especially off the bounce. Mm. You know, like every split second in basketball matters, especially as you go up a level. Like you don't always have the time to get two-handed. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just got to get rid of it. Um, so I think that working on, you know, dribble move it, when you're doing your ball handling, but adding a pass or finding ways to, to just get repetitions of one handed passes. Um, and then I think to kind of stack on to the next thing is the number one thing I see, no matter what level is players who struggle to hit open cutters mm -hmm. off the bounce with ball pressure, you know, and how many times like I was at a high school game last night where I think there's four or five open cutters, but the, the, you know, the person with the ball in their hands weren't able to get rid of it that quick, whatever. I'm like, well, in a high school game, especially you just missed possibly eight to 10 points, eight to 10 points at any level is a lot of points. Mm -hmm. um, so th those would be some of my general thoughts. With it. Mm. Yeah. I love that. One of my buddies who coaches uh, at Southern Indiana, we were talking about off ball screening actions. I said, what, what are the hardest things for your guys to get down as far as the reads? He's like, the hardest stuff for ours isn't the screener, it's not the cutter, it's the passer. Making sure it's it's on time and it's on target. A lot of times our guys at their college, you know, Division One school now, like they're reading the screens, they're setting them properly. But that pass, man, that pass and being able to get it to our cutter on the move at the right time in the right spot is huge. And I love how you mentioned at the younger levels passing outside of our space, whether that's passing over the top, outside of our body. Uh, are there any – 
specific drills that you use maybe at the, you know, even the junior high level or for a high school team that maybe is a little lower level that, you know, you found effective? One, I mean, it's just, just doing like what I would call like a continuate, continuous penetrating kick, maybe get three guys out there and then giving them, um, you know, kind of stipulations. Okay. Everything has to be a one hit pass. Everything has to be a hook pass. Everything has to be a push pass off the bounce. Everything has to be a jump stop pivot to a hook pass just you know let them kind of be creative but give them you know a couple stipulations of okay where your actions to happen i always you know i was doing that with my pro guys in practice just to for them mm -hmm. to stay sharp but i think that's like a good one that you can then kind of build off of and then maybe instead of three on oh it becomes a three on two or a monkey in the middle situation or whatever mm -hmm. i think that is, is you know like a good foundation piece mm -hmm. from there um, and then something I did a lot last year in the pre-draft process is I got one of the, the like weighted balls. We did a lot of like driving stuff with the weighted balls mm -hmm. where you know, your hook pass is going to get pretty good throwing a ball. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, that, those would be some just general ideas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I love that. The um, Yeah, we, we do a this is for our like elementary, younger, middle school age kids. But like, let's say there's a group of three of us. I have the ball and you're facing across from me and I'll pass it to you. And then I go close out on you. And then there's a person behind me and you have to, you can pass however you like, but it's not going to be straight in front of your body because I'm guarding you. Right. Uh, and then we'll, we'll say, okay, you can pivot, but no dribble. So you got to pass outside your frame. You can use your pivot and you can pass however you like, but it's not, can't be a, what I call a lollipop pass. Right. Cause mm -hmm. that's like taking candy. Right. So any pass, but a lollipop pass working on passing outside. And as soon as you pass, to your your partner now you go and close out and now you're guarding that and it's just a continuous close out passing drill and they say hey you can use one dribble to like create a new angle or space and kind of build from there but it's along the same lines you're talking about passing outside your body is uh something that's realistic to the game and, and the the days of facing somebody and making a chess pass and telegraphing a pass i mean realistically like was that ever a, a thing I don't, yeah. I don't i don't know if that was like i mean you can go 50 years ago i don't know if anybody was really doing it uh there were still defenders out there so uh i don't know how realistic that is i think we're going to come back to some of the passing and the ball movement but i want to touch on the third thing that you mentioned was game film and how effective that can be for every level not just you know more advanced players pro high school whatever that that might be you know what are some examples that you've used film for with the players that you work with one of the probably one of the cooler things I've experienced is uh, every summer, like like you guys do a lot of like camps with younger players, middle school. So some of the middle school camps, what I started doing is we'll play three on three or four on four and I'll film it just on my iPad, cut it up. And the next day we'll do a film session and mm, the kids thought that. it was the coolest That's thing awesome. ever. But, you know, I being able to show them at that as a reference point. And then, okay, we're going to take – now we're going to go do four-on-four four again the next day and right after we get done doing film. And having that as a reference and, like, seeing just the difference day-to-day, -day, well, obviously the repetition, they should get better. But I really think, like, the film aspect kind of – I just think, in general, we don't give kids enough credit for how smart they are and mm -hmm. what they are, what they can take. Say in. it again. Say it again. <laughs> um, so – I, that that's one piece for sure. Um, just like on a practical lower level. 
Um, and then, you know, jumping to the other extreme, like last year was the first year I was able to lead my own pre-draft workout stuff. We filmed every workout um, and same thing. We'd play some two-on-two, one-on-one, whatnot, um, you know, breaking down, like we talked about before, skill application. Hey, you know, you it was a left-handed pull-up. You use right-left footwork here. I thought, you know, the sequencing was good. What I, I think that helps when we're, you know, work with those guys. We're trying to be, you know, break down little things and get really, you know, elite at simple things. Um, that would kind of be the other end of the spectrum because I think there's value in film and the player development realm. And I know some people film their workouts, some don't. Um, but then also using it as your own. Listen to yourself. I know a lot of people don't like hearing their own voice and all that. And sometimes we sound dumb, but. Well, if I sound dumb listening to, to myself, it may sound dumb to the player. How can I better, uh, you know, speak eloquently? Oh, man, that's so good. I'm, so I run – I'm currently running a youth basketball three-on-three -three league that runs through the end of February, and we, we're going to we're gonna film. Like, hearing you say that, and then I can come back the next week or, or send, you know, some email clips out. That's a – that's great. That's great. Um, I, I love that because there's so much teaching. Like, the – the number one thing we played last night, right, with our, our team in our league, and the number one thing I was talking about was moving without the basketball and how we can get open, right, because we got guys that they'll move, but they're generally, like, behind the defender. They're not initiating contact. They're not doing a great job, as you said, chasing space, and they're not being aggressive to the ball in those opportunities and uh, to demonstrate and to do all those things, explain, sure, but – the film piece, we're definitely going to add the film piece as we finish out the rest of the season. So thank you for, I'm already better. I'm already better because of our, <laughs> our time spent together, which is, which is great. Uh, I want to get back into the, the context. How can we as coaches do a better job? And I think this is uh, at the, as a high school coach, I think that we may have the problem of assuming. And I, I see this a lot because if, Kids haven't at the junior high level, at the freshman or JV level, been taught certain things. They get to the varsity level, which is the majority of our members, my clients, and things like that. We assume they know something, and they don't, right? And then in the in the training space, I see a, a lot of basketball trainers, and I can be guilty of this. Of like, I I'm excited. I want to get to the work. I want to get to the work. And sometimes I don't take the time that I need to explain the context and the game situation of what we're actually working on, so we can benefit as much. What are some things that you've done to improve in that area? Probably going back to what I said before uh, and mixed with what you're saying with assuming things is players already that you, you have to meet them where they're at. They already have a foundation. And so I'd rather start things out saying, okay, you're playing off the ball and, you know, in the 45 spot on the lot or whatever you want to call it, the ball is driven. I'm going to ask them, what do you see? What have you been taught? What do you see? And just see what they have to say. Because some of them may have no, like you're saying, and I'm assuming, and that's shame, shame on me. I'm glad I asked. Um, or they're going to say, I'm going to 45 cut here. Okay, why are you going to 45 cut? And most of them are going to be like, that's just what coaches told me, I, you know, and they're doing what coaches ask. But, okay, now, now I know where they're at. Now I can, well, this is why we five cut mm -hmm. this is what it does for you know your partner playing in the corner uh, they got more space where they're their lift or their drift you may be more you may not be the shooter you need to be yet and that's why coach had you 45 cutting because you know the best thing for your team is for you to be going towards the rim catching the ball trying to finish so 
I think finding a baseline of where they're at already and where their understanding is, is the first part of like providing mm -hmm. context. Mm -hmm. um, That's great. Because I could say a million, uh, all sorts of breakdowns, but that goes right back to what I assume the player already knows. And if we're not, if what I assume and what reality is, what I'm doing might be kind of a Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would say that would be the first part. Um, the second part with context, I think understanding, like, you know, I work with high school players like you do. I go to a lot of their games mm -hmm. and seeing, you know, I'll make little notes on my phone, seeing just what their coach has them doing. You know, every school's got different philosophies and all that. So like this time of year, especially I'm trying to do stuff. Well, you know, we work out on Sundays a lot because that's when kids are free, you know, my big thing is I want to do stuff on Sunday nights that translates to a game on Monday or Tuesday. Um, so making sure I have the context of how they play and say, Hey, you know, I went to the game the other night, you had three, you know, I saw three baseline drives where you were playing in the corner and you got caught flat footed or you, you know, so I think finding what applies to them per to what season they're in is important. Um, and then once the high school season's over, I don't really, honestly care what their high school coaches do i'm trying to give them a broader you know perspective of like all right these are all some lots of options coach may have you 45 cut or exchange or whatever but there's all sorts of other things this is so this is what i'm going to show you i'm going to expose you to it all um and then you know and then i like like we just said before too i'd say the last thing i would say is uh going back to film as as a piece for piece for context. Um, yeah 100 percent you mentioned in our email, you know, the majority of the time when we're playing the game, we do not have the basketball in our hands. No question. We need to be effective when the basketball in our, in our hands, and it's going to give us more playing time and whatever else that might be individually and to benefit our team. But what are some things that you emphasize with your players for how they can impact the game for that 90, 95% of the time when the ball is not in their hands? Probably two things I would say first. For one, I just think running the floor is harder. Mm. And like, I don't have never met a coach at any level ever who doesn't love a player who's going to sprint their butt back on defense hard and they're going to run the wing hard or rim run or whatever fits their position. Like, if you just do that, you separate yourself from 99% of the players. Like, <laughs> you go to any <laughs> game and you see someone who just runs really hard, mm -hmm. they yeah. stick out like a sore thumb yeah. because it's so rare to see. Mm -hmm. um, so and you I hate to guard somebody who does that. <laughs> sure. Every time, boom, they're gone. It's like, man, okay. And, you know, we both probably, we've both been doing this a long time. I can think of maybe like four players I've been around ever where I'm like, man, they run their hands. Just hard. Yeah. And think how many players I've encountered in my life. And I can think of like four um so that would be one um and then i think the other thing is just understanding um where you need to be like begin making sure you know shell defensive principles offensive stuff making sure you know where you need to be and like communicating with your coach or whoever like you know is my spacing right you know should i have rotated here whatever like if you're just in the right places when you're supposed to be which you know there's to do it seems easy but very rarely are you you know on where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and i think that doesn't take a lot of you know perceived skill there's some nuance to it or whatever but you'd be the most unathletic person ever and run the floor really hard and you be 
Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that might be, those might be over. That's probably the coach and me talking more than the player development guy. I'm like over idealizing two things that are seem simple, but they're, they're hard to come by. Well, it's, it's a great point because, you know, and this is why I love having people that train, but also have the coaching experiences like those things help you win games, but they're not talked about enough. They're not emphasized enough, but boy, if, if we really run the floor hard, not just offensively, but we get back defensively as well, right? Uh, what are our rebounding philosophies? Are you an offensive rebounder? Do you crash every single time, right? Uh, when you're a closeout, are you there when the ball gets there? Or are you getting there before the basketball gets there? The the slight relocation off the ball, right? And I'm telling some of our players all the time, it's like just because you're open in the space that you're at doesn't mean the player that has the ball can get the basketball to you because they're being pressured and they're at, at a certain location out on the court. So it may seem like they should give you the ball. It's not that easy. You being able to literally lift three feet or drift down to the corner, three feet can make all the difference in the world and, and getting that pass there and you getting a shot or being able to swing or whatever that might be. Those little tiny details that aren't talked about enough. Those are the things that lead to winning, which gets back to your experience internationally what were some of the things that you picked up over there that now you make you better coming back to the states and working with players here the style of play um in europe especially is hold on i'm gonna i I apologize to interrupt uh i don't know this this is either brand new question for you give give me and, and our listeners a little bit of context of your experience overseas and then come back to the question i just asked my first experience abroad, so I was kind of on two far, far ends. My first experience abroad, I was an assistant in Israel and first division Israel with you know, Kabi Tel Aviv, well, Jerusalem, uh, you know, high, high, high level basketball, really athletic league. Um, and then I've been a head coach in Albania, which is like entry level, a lot of first year players, guys making fifteen hundred, two thousand, like five hundred dollars. So I saw both ends, um, but you know, play honestly wasn't. Different. It was just that's it and skill. Um, so some of the things I took away um, there for one, the number one thing just offensively is like short rolling is so much more prevalent in Europe um, and in US. You just you know you pick and pop or you dive a lot of the time. Um, so just the effectiveness of short rolls, which I feel like could be a lot more effective with high school and some small college stuff where there's a lot of smaller bigs where they can catch it at 15 feet and play and make out of it. Um, so that was probably my biggest adjustment when I first went to Europe is like ball screen defense was so much different with short rolls. Um, that would be one thing. Um, I would say another thing that kind of stuck with me is the amount of aggressive cuts towards the rim. Here, everything is drive, kick, space, 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 relocate for three. Like Europe, a lot more aggressive cuts to the rim, uh, side, strong side, wherever. Um, and that's probably, you know, and honestly, I never thought about it this way. When you aggressive cut, it just makes the relocation for everybody else so much easier because mm-hmm. instead of four people trying to relocate and, you know, dividing the floor into fourths, basically, you get an aggressive cut. Now you're dividing the thirds. You've got way more space to operate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and then I would say, lastly, uh, you know, in my experiences abroad, like I never saw a single illegal screen called ever. So, like your ability 
to get open, fight through. On the offensive end, you've got to be able to get open. Um, and defensively, you're going to have to fight through a legal screen. So just like the ability to get open, being physical, using angles, you know, footwork, getting your foot over the top, that that was another thing um, that I, you know, I learned a lot watching really good players fight to get open or fight to get through screens and mm-hmm. take stuff away. Mm-hmm. No, those are great. Those are great points. I so I didn't coach nearly at the level overseas, but when I was over there, I coached two years of high school high school basketball, and even learned a lot from there. And one, the the leagues that I was in, nobody could play zone, uh, which I really liked. You had to play man to man at the at the youth level, which I thought had a lot of benefits. Um, the the pace of play, the ball moved quicker, and I, I feel like we're trying we're doing a better job recently of like teaching that of like hey, you know, quick quick decisions. Um, again, we're, we're getting more into that again, but when I was over there, it was like 10 years ago, like they were just ahead of like, there were more dribble handoffs. We see a ton of ball screens. Now there were already a ton of ball screens happening, happening over there. Um, and then we practiced so much more than we played when we were over there. Um, one, when I, when I was playing overseas, we, I mean, we usually, sometimes we play twice a week, but we usually played one game a week, right? We practiced five days a week. And a lot of those were two a days and you got lifting and then you'd have one day off and then you'd do it all over again for like eight or nine months. Um, and so just the, the emphasis on like practice time and, and developing your skills and continue to improve. And then boom, you got that one game and it's just like all out everything you got. And then boom, back to the, back to the drawing board and just trying to get better throughout the course of the week. I think there's a lot of takeaways that we can do uh, and continue to improve uh, as far as how we go in the, in the U S I think there's some things that we're, we're on the right, we're on the right track um, as far as how that goes. Basketball in in general, where do you see player development going if you had to forecast in like five, 10 years as far as kind of its place in, in the world? I mean, it's not going anywhere. It's a kid just no. growing, you know, like player like, well, I think it's pretty well, just everyone is in agreement. Like players have never been more skilled than they are now, at least with the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's only going to continue. Uh, to me, where I wanted to go, I think athletic development, like us understanding biomechanics mm-hmm. and, you know, the stuff that we would consider, this is for strength and conditioning people. And if you're going to be really good at player development, you have to have at least a baseline. Mm-hmm. That um, I would say that's one, um, kind of like you mentioned before uh, with your out of education just like the cognitive piece like how do we really teach you know what it doesn't matter what you're teaching is teaching and i think you know player development realm having a baseline understanding of that i think those are the ones right now if you really want to be good at it those would be the ones i would be focusing on those are things i'm trying to be better at because i think it separates other yeah. people when i'm, I'm mm-hmm. not i don't have a four-year degree in it i don't have a master's in it or whatever but you know there's research there's an everywhere we can yeah. understanding um so those are probably the two i would say off the top of my head um that i think um i think probably the other one is just at this point if you can't shoot you can't play i think just the emphasis on understanding like how to teach shooting mm-hmm. um is probably the other one where there's a lot of yeah that probably just being frank there's money to be made there if you're, just, if you're trying to do uh, that's, I've said this many times when I'm like older and I can't dunk and I can't like do fancy stuff, like where I'm in the gym and I demonstrate something and kids are like, Whoa, 
was like, I'll still be, a, I'll just become a shooting coach full time instead of like <laughs> the all around. And I'll be, I'll be, I'll be fine. Cause you're absolutely right. Shooting is, uh, has always been important, but it's never been more important than it is today. Uh, regarding shooting, what are some things that you focus on with your players as far as can continuing to develop throughout the course of, you know, the let's, let's say off season season ends, uh, players are coming back to you and they're looking to work with you for, you know, consistently. And I know you, you train in season as well, but that consistent basis of spring through the summer, coming back into the fall, you know, what are some of the things you focus on with your guys and girls? I think uh, once the season's over, going forget everything that's happened. Let's go right back to, you know, I give all my, I call them like, these are your boxes. Check. Like every player I work with consistently, I've got like a note in my phone because sometimes I gave myself like there's two or three things when you're not shooting the ball well, these two or three bad habits. Mm. Pop up. Whatever those three habits are that are bad, let's make sure we're doing the opposite. You know, whether that's having a loaded wrist, whether that's your, your base getting too narrow, whether that's your sequencing is off and you're not leading with the ball or whatever it may be like, let's go right back to, you know, what your bad habits were a year ago, they're probably similar. You know, at, at a certain point, like your habits that pop up. I think just going back to going back to the basics as you know, uh, stereotypical as that sounds, but what, what you really need and what I really need might be different. But let's let's hammer in on you know what's really important for you. Those two or three things, and I don't like making it anything more than about those two or three things because mm -hmm. your brain can only process so much and you've worked with enough shooters to know like you get to them thinking too much and worried about too much you you, you lose oh yeah i mean you, you think back to when you've been in the zone how much was going through your mind not much or nothing right mm -hmm. you just you just you know the flow state right i mean it's a real it's a real thing um, so hammering on those basics, I, I love the, the, what you mentioned as far as, Hey, when you're missing shots, what are a couple of those bad habits? We all have them, right? I, I know I have them. Like when I, when I start to miss, right. It's because my, I stopped getting my shoulders to the rim and I'll just start naturally like coming back a little bit with my shoulder. And then it's either a front rim miss or it's slightly to the right. Cause I'm right-handed. And those are the two misses that when my shot starts to go, it's short or it's right because I'll get casual. I'll get lazy with driving my right shoulder to the rim. And I say, hey, shoulder, Steve, shoulder to the rim. And then boom, I'm back in my line and then I'm feeling good again. We all have something like that. And uh, so it's important to remind our players because sometimes, especially at younger players, they don't know. We, we, we can show them with, with film and, and from watching and all the you know thousands of players that you worked with over the years. And uh, that's one of the cool things having done this for so long is like, or, or even a coach who asked me to work with a player and, and we see them and they're like, I'm not really quite sure what to do. And I'm like, I, I've seen that kid like 10 times already. I've seen it before. Right. I know, I, I've worked on like, here's what we're going to do. And so that like experience level uh, over working with enough players is uh, something that come certainly comes in handy regarding shooting, shooting the basketball favorite competitive shooting drill coach Ooh. favorite one. Um, That's a good question. Like, I'll be honest, I'm not a big shooting drill guy. I'm more just like reps, Getting them up. you know, yeah. like yeah. I, 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 um, I think what one I really, I think like I'll do one where it's just like nine spots, basically start out at half court, come in, shoot an eight footer off the glass and then a mid range and then a three and then you sprint to half court again. And it's just nine spots. That's one I've done forever that I really like because 
you can kind of, uh, you know, put some control on it. Like we'll go, uh, I'll make him hit. You have to hit seven out of nine for five. You know, you're going to go five times and, you know, we don't move on to number three or number four nine or whatever it may be. And then, you know, or, or we'll do, you know, first time through, it's going to be all one, two foot work. Next one, it's going to be hop. Next mm -hmm. one, it's going to be hop long where you can kind of roll it. And that's, that's a lot of running. Um, and I think that's like a good one to burn them out at the end. If that's mm -hmm. what you're going and hit shots while you're tired um that, that's probably the one i've done the longest mm -hmm. that one mm -hmm. probably um because you can you can control it and you can kill them a little bit yeah yeah they're getting they're getting running in as you mentioned you can put a footwork piece to it you can put time score competitive you can put two players on each end going to get you know all, all those different things which you know make make drills competitive which i like you mentioned footwork um, and this is a question that I often get from, from coaches is, is, is the footwork piece. So, you know, just curious, like, what are some things that you emphasize as far as the, the base, the foundation, with the players you work with? I'm big on hips. Like that's my favorite thing. You come to any of my workouts, you're going to hear me talk about your hips. I think that's where everything, everything starts. Um, so for me, I think, um, with footwork, no matter whether you want to, you hop, you pinch, your permanent foot, one, two, inside, whatever. Like, I think there's value in all those footworks. Like, if you watch the good players, they do them all. Mm -hmm. um, but I think just the level of your hips. If you're one, twoing as you step, I can be tall. As I'm stepping, I'm dropping down, and my hips are dropped, and I'm like a spring on my way down. Or what? if I hop, I can be tall. Once I – was the ball's hitting my hands, you know, my hips are dropped mm -hmm. no matter what. No matter what footwork we use when we get to the important part, the, the money time and your wrist is loaded, it, it all looks the same. We're all trying to get to the same point. If you're hit, you know, your hips are what drive everything. And I'm always amazed at how many players miss short, you know, where it's mm -hmm. like, you know, if you're a, a high school kid, you know, who's, you know, grown and even, to, even if you're just average size, you should be able to shoot the ball from a foot behind the high school three point. It's not. It's a, it's an issue with your your sequencing, or it's an issue with your hips. If you're not, yeah, it's not a strength hips, issue. Yeah, and I don't think people, the average person, grasps that sometimes. Mm -hmm. Or players understand. Like you're more powerful than you think, mm -hmm. but you don't. Your hips never drop, and a lot of that, or a lot of them, is they're either weak through their hips or they're stiff through the hips, which mm -hmm. comes with puberty and growing and all that. But I also you know, work with pro guys who, when lunges, it's really hard on them. You know, dropping down and doing some like yoga poses, 90-90, it's impossible for them because their hips are terrible. I'm like, well, you know, it's, it's all correlated. Mm -hmm. uh, you're the second NBA trainer I've talked to recently that uh, said hips was shooting when I asked him. And you know, say same, like the hips are that lever that sinks. And when you drop those hips back, your knees are already going to bend a little bit. Your ankles are already going to flex a little bit. And those are your three lower levers, hips, knees, ankles. But the the hips which is why, you know, if you go and do a shooting workout, you're never going to say me say, Hey, bend your knees more or, or use your legs more. It's, it's more like load, right? Mm -hmm. and we have, we have some terminology we use with our kids as far as what loading, you know, looks like. And um, I think we get too caught. I'm glad you talked about the footwork because I think we get too caught up in a specific type of footwork instead of like, where are we at when that basketball is in our hands and that ball starts to move, you know, Call through the tunnel, right? We're starting to let that ball lead coming through the tunnel. And, you know, as far as our, our, our stance, our, our base, our foundation, um, you know, like 
with a with a shooting stance. I watch that. I want balance and I want rhythm from the from our feet, right? How you get into uh, that balance and rhythm could be different based on uh, are you are you you curling? Are you are you flaring? Are you is it like a, a lateral relocation? Is it into a dribble pull up? Is it like a straight line pull up? Or are you kind of getting into a side step? Like there's a million variations that could require a different piece of, of footwork. And then sometimes you just have time and you can kind of choose which one you feel more more comfortable with. But we if we don't have the balance and the rhythm into what we're doing and the, and the hips are that connector because they're it's the middle piece of our body, right? So that those hips really connect the upper body and the ball as well as the lower body and the legs and the feet. And so I think that's a that's a huge one. You mentioned short kids are kids are stronger than they think. I think parents also oh, they got to get stronger. It's like yeah, they got to get stronger, but that's not why their shots short. So I think that's a great uh, piece as well. Is there any other specific thing you work on from a shooting standpoint with your players that you found? Boy, this is really beneficial. We've improved this player's shooting percentage, you know, five, ten percent from you know one year to the next from three, and we really focused on this specific thing. Uh, hand placement, I think, is important. Just how you can catch the ball. Build something like I'm asking a lot of different people that I trust. Like, how is the best way to catch the basketball? And there's, there's, you know, some variability. If you throw me a bad pass, I'm not going to be able to catch it quickly. So I think hand placement. There's a lot of people, kids who don't even realize their hands are in funky places when they go to shoot. Where it's like you're, you're setting yourself up for failure before we even try to do anything because. <laughs> Um, so I think that's one, one I've been big on is like, I tell them like, I want you to pretend there's a window in front of you. A lot of kids, when they go to shoot, they're bringing the ball back either. I'm all big on like, keep it off your face. I tell them like, pretend there's a, a window in front of you or you're wearing like a hat. And if you bring the ball back, you're going to run into like the visor of the hat. And, you know, you start bringing it back. It starts to become like what I call a dart rather than, mm -hmm. you know, an out motion. Mm -hmm. Um, and then probably the last one too, is like, one I make, especially younger kids, and this might be, you know, as player, if you're working with a player who's six six, it's a little bit different, like angle wise. But I'll make them put the ball on top of their head with their weak hand, and then hold their follow through. And I'm like, all right, if your follow through isn't as tall as the ball on your head or about, I think it's it's flat, and that mm -hmm. might be over idealized, and that might be too high sometimes. But like the other thing I say is, I'd rather you exaggerate something yeah. because you're. You know, you exaggerate in the workout, it's probably going to be a little bit lower in the game. Everything we do, it's not going to be quite there when we do it in the game. Mm -hmm. Those would be a couple of like little things that I feel like I see over and over. And I, when players, they can pick up on those things, you improve. Yeah. Uh, coach, this has been, this has been awesome. I mean, I could continue to pepper you with, with different, <laughs> different questions as, as we go. I mean, as we were, I was like, all right, passes off the ball screen. Like, what do you, what do you, what's your, opinion here we've touched a little bit on some some form shooting um talk about footwork and stance you know passing with your weak hand i mean to our to our listeners there's been a variety of really good nuggets in here so i encourage you to go back rewind listen to some of the teaching points that uh, coach jones broke down because there's some there's some nuggets in here that you're going to want to apply to your basketball team whether that's passing outside your frame passing with with your weak hand some of the nuggets at the end as far as, you know, shooting mechanics and, and stance or follow through and exaggerating certain things, the game film piece, all of these are, are great. You mentioned running the floor, even in there, you talked about coaching overseas. I mean, coach, what's, what's next for you? Last question. I mean, kind of what's next, what's, what's kind of in the, you know, you talk about the rear view a little bit with some of your experiences, but 
you know, what's in, what's in the front, what's, what's on the dashboard here for you? Next thing for me that I'm really preparing for is the pre-draft process again this year. Uh, so that'll start up. We'll get really moving kind of end of April up until the draft time in June. So preparing for that. Um, and then in the meantime, you know, my, my training business here and starting to do uh, more stuff. Um, the next kind of frontier for me is uh, all these college kids with their, their NIL money. I'm like, all right, if you're going to get treated like a pro, the pros invest their money back into their game. So I've been working with a couple uh, NIL agents and different people I know trying to get some kids uh, in the gym, April, kind of in that time when uh, between uh, when school ends and when uh, they go back for summer. So mm-hmm. I do a lot of shooting stuff, honestly. Um, yeah. You know, some of the stuff we talked about where it's like, you know, three per- trying to improve shooting habits, shooting mechanics, like 3% in college basketball three is a big jump. Huge. Like, the difference in you can whether that's in college or as a pro or whatever uh so those are those are the main things that you know i'm spending my time right now getting mm-hmm. situated is that one of the you know as you get into the pre-draft is that one of the main things that you work on with those guys as they prepare for, through the process it's the most important thing in my opinion yeah. um like yeah i had a guy last year a seven foot guy uh, a guy named trade jim is on a 10-day contract with the Grizzlies right now who didn't shoot a single jump shot in college five years, seven foot, 270. No one ever worked with him on shooting ever because it's not who he was. And age and I was working for was like, listen, we don't need him to hit jump shots, but we can't have him when he goes and, you know, he, he's still going to have to go and do spot shooting with the NBA teams. And they're going to make him shoot threes because they just want to know. Mm-hmm. And he can't go there and go nine draw. You know, the shooting isn't the reason he's going to get a contract, yeah. but it can't be the reason they don't take. Yeah, that's a great point. So, um, so yeah, we did shooting stuff, you know, every day. And I work with a lot of like guys who are friends, guys, two-way contracts, maybe it's like around pick, whatnot. And the majority of them, the reason is it's just shooting splits. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. That's what holds a lot of players back. So like I said, just trying to find hey, these are two or three things I think we can, you know, make some progress on in two months. And that may take you from 33% from three to 36. And at you know, at the pro level, that's the Big difference. That's Coach Matt Jones, mattjoneshoops.com. Check him out. Coach, this, this was awesome. We'll have to have you back uh, again sometime or, or you know, maybe in the fall after you've gone throughout that process. And love to love to learn again from you some of the things that you work on with, with some of those players has, has been great. So thank you for taking the time to be on the Coach's Edge podcast. Appreciate you having me on. I always enjoy talking to uh, like-minded people. Thanks for listening. Get after today.